should we go ahead and blow your candles out so you don't have wax pouring all over you, and then we'll listen about the true light um, of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, John chapter 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. It was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which light of every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave him power to become the sons of God, and to them that believe on his name which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bear witness of Him and cried, saying, This was He of whom I spake, he that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man have seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. For Christmas, we often celebrate with festivities. Our houses will often be brilliantly lighted. We will have Christmas trees, decorations, adornments of many kinds. Uh, we'll give and receive gifts to one another, uh, beautifully wrapped. We'll often enjoy foods that have been artistically uh, prepared, but it was not so with the first Christmas. It was simple. Unadorned. There was a manger of cattle, a crib of stone, and swaddling clothes. The first Christmas was as human as it was simple and unadorned. At the center of it was a baby. The mother was a simple young woman from Nazareth, and her husband was a carpenter given a supportive presence during the night after a visit from Angel. Christmas is about God entering the human situation in a person. Christian faith makes the most incredible claim that God has come to us in something as weak and helpless as a child. In the baby Jesus, God took upon himself our own fragile form. God had made himself lowly. God had made himself little. He humbled himself. We call this the incarnation. 
which means that now God was now incarnate in the flesh of humanity. John wrote that the word in, in, in John 1 1. It said, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then you read in verse 14. It says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. To think that the word who was in the heavens became flesh. That he dwelt among us. That he went into people's homes ate with them, did miracles, fed the multitudes with a sack much. Could possibly be beside people with a can candlelight. Went to funerals. Went to weddings. He had dwelt among us. He had been active in, God had always been active in his world. He had spoken to people in historical events. He spoke through the prophets and in other ways. But now in a strange, daring new way of speaking, God came to men and women, clothed in their flesh, speaking in their language, drawing among them. That eternity had entered into time. That God was no longer only everywhere. He was somewhere specific. That although he was omnipresent, meaning God is his spirit and God is everywhere, now he was somewhere specific, clothed in flesh. God was no longer only everywhere, he was somewhere. God was no longer just a timeless reality, he entered our time with his calendars, his hourglasses, and his sundials of the time. In much of the world where the gospel was first preached in the New Testament era, people believed many times there was a group of heresy that arose in some churches, um, Docetism and Gnosticism, um, and they believed that flesh of itself was evil. That it was a prison of the soul. That the ultimate end of life was to be delivered from that prison. But John was saying that God, rather than seeking to escape the flesh, was entering it. He knew that it was not inherently evil. He had created and pronounced it good. It was the sinful nature that passed from Adam, that's sinful, that is evil, that is not good. But human flesh and bones of itself is not evil. But there were some that rose up in, in various churches to try and accommodate the gospel to believe that the flesh was evil, that the body was corrupt. The gospel would be much more acceptable in their minds to many of they would just adjust to this philosophy. And so Docetism, that said Jesus, they taught that Jesus was not really human, that Jesus was spirit, that he only appeared to look like he was in the flesh. 
he appeared to do so. But the New Testament writers vigorously wrote against this belief. Nowadays, we have the heresies in the church where those say that Jesus is not God, that he was just a man, he was just a prophet, he was just a teacher. Uh, back then, it was more of they recognized God, Jesus was God, but they did not accept his humanity. Many did not. But And so the writers of the New Testament, we see Paul at times, uh, we see Peter, but we see especially John, writing that those that deny that Jesus has come in the flesh is Antichrist. That God had actually became flesh. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 2, it says, Here made by no ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit that obeyed the Christ, where we have heard that it should come, and him and now already is in the world. And so John is saying that one of the real tests of the Christian faith was to believe in an incarnation. And that's why the virgin birth was a necessity. That the sin that passed from Adam would not pass on as he was conceived of the Holy Ghost. But he needed to be born of a virgin woman so that he could take on human flesh and then be born in that sense as we are with the exception of the miracle of the virgin uh, Jesus' flesh was our kind of flesh. He got tired. He needed rest, sleep, food. You see him in the well asking for water. He got tired. He got thirsty. You find him asleep during the storm at sea. As the boat was about to capsize, he had spent a busy time of ministry toward people, and then he was also getting ready to teach them a lesson. That I mean, yes, he, to him, the winds and the sea obeyed. That it is not just people, it's not just the animal kingdom, but science itself, the weather, obeys him. So while he was deity, he also had flesh. He became frail in our fragile form. He felt the stresses, he felt the strengths, the temptations we undergo. Because he was fragile, he could be <coughs> as he was in his death. There was no beauty or comeliness in him in his life or death. Isaiah 53 talks about that. that if we were to be alive in that first century, it wasn't like Jesus walked around with a halo around him where he went. He blended in with everybody else. There was no particular beauty that would make one desire him. It was look just as average as everyone else. But when he spoke, be in the word, be in the word of God, People recognize he spoke with power. Even when he was but 12 years old, they saw that he spoke with authority. Even in the questions 
he would ask of the Jewish elders there. When God took upon himself our human flesh that first Christmas, he came down to us. He made himself little, the way we are little. Although in the weakness of analogies, we may say that you know he would be like a brilliant astronomer that would be filled with a lot of intelligence. But imagine an astronomer on Christmas morning getting down on the floor with his three-year-old boy just to play with him on Christmas, to talk with him, to play with toys, and talk about Christmas trees. To, talk about Jesus, to talk about anything of the child's imagination. The astronomer's capable of talking about all kinds of mathematics, about how things are light years away, um, about how things you see with the telescope, but that there, we can't even see any kind of boundary to the vastness of the universe. But yet, to that child, he speaks his language. That even though he gets low and speaks with him, he is really so much taller in that boy's mind. Um, the night before, perhaps he was talking with a fellow astronomer about the Milky Way, the most distant star being beyond our reach. On that Christmas morning, he's a father, not in his struggle. They talked about simple things in a simple way to a little child. In a sense, he becomes a child again. Does the father lose his stature because he's sitting on the floor with his child? Of course not. But there's a relationship that's built strong. He's with another human being. He's with his son. That is more wonderful than the relationships he has with his fellow astronomers in the heavens. The heavens cannot think, respond, or love, but the boy can. There's more mystery in the face of his child than there is in the heavens. More wonder in his eyes than in the light of a star. Maybe simplicity is really the key to greatness. The test of a great man is not how comfortable he is with his peers, but how comfortable he is with the simple people. Those that maybe he would, would minister to. The test of a great writer is not how intricate and involved his style is, but how simple and vivid and concrete the reader can understand of what he writes. The test of God is not how great he is, but how little or how low he is willing to make himself in order to save us. I have another message we preaching in the future uh, and actually heard parts of it from another message when we were in Missouri a few weeks ago, but about how God is so holy, that God is so holy that, you know, you think of self-righteous people, uh, you know, you think all those people, are, they're filled with pride. You know, they think they have it all together, that they haven't made. And you see the pride, you see that arrogance. But we see God, he's pure. He's holy, holy, holy. 
is so holy. The Bible talks about the lofty one who habitates the heavens, humbles himself with the contrite ones, with those that are humble. God is so holy that even he had to humble himself. It'll be all together. Another message will dive deeper into that. How low God was willing to go in regards to becoming human flesh in order to save us. That God was not only the cosmic engineer and designer, but a father to us. He loves us and is willing to do whatever was necessary to save us, to win our love, to give us life. The test of his greatness was not in his power and majesty, but his holiness and his love that enables him to stoop down to meet our need for a Savior. Never is the God of our universe so great as when he comes to us in something so weak and helpless is the baby, Jesus Christ. By taking our human form, God identified with us. It's an astronomer, maybe I would identify with his son. But here God actually, who is a spirit, became flesh. He looked out upon our world through human eyes. It's one thing to look at our world from above and outside it. It is another to look at it from the inside. Astronauts orbited the moon at Christmas of 1968. Look at our Earth and be from beyond it. Inside is the beautiful blue disk floating in space. But from there they were unable to see it as it really is, is it when they were on the Earth themselves. And so then when they came back for a landing, and they would be able to be with people on earth once again. The incarnation allowed God to see our world from the inside personally in flesh. God was able to look at our dawns, sunsets, as we see them, the starry nights, the fields, the wildernesses, the cities through human eyes. He seen this beauty and he seen the ugliness of sin the despair, the hardship. He's felt this joy. He's felt this pain. God's been hurt. He's been wounded. The far transgressions. One may say to God, I am lonely. And he's able to respond, I know I felt the most terrible moments on that cross. He even said of his father, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken? Been betrayed by his friend Judas with a kiss. Oh, does he seat? To have his disciples to forsake him as he was being arrested, taken away. God has experienced all. You say you're sad, you're depressed. And oh, the depression that Jesus would have felt in that garden when he sweat blood. You may say, I'm afraid to die. And 
yet he understands death as he died for us, endured the most shameful and agonizing death of the cross. On the better day, we may say, no, we're feeling happy, we're feeling joyful. And God could say, yes, I've experienced that joy in my Son, in whom I am well pleased. God took upon himself our flesh. He didn't dwell above us or beneath us or away from us, but with us. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Not just baby present everywhere. Or nowhere in particular. Now he was somewhere. Taking upon himself our limitations. He dwelt in familiar places among familiar people. Jesus being born in Bethlehem, prophesied hundreds of years before he would actually be born. John the Baptist, who was born before Jesus, said, He is preferred before me, for he was before me. He recognized that Jesus' beginning was not in that stone crib, that stone manger, but that he was eternity that entered time. That it was God who became flesh. He was the everlasting one. Born in Bethlehem, grew up in Nazareth, worked out of Capernaum along the Sea of Galilee, crucified outside Jerusalem. He belonged to a family, grew normally. He played, no doubt, with friends in the streets of Nazareth. Went to school, was faithful in the worship in the synagogue. Again, as mentioned, he attended weddings, funerals. Most likely worked with his father as a carpenter, uh, where he acquired the skills and used the tools of the trade. He lived with people in their homes, in their dreams, in their pain, in their despair. But outside his parents, many times. Maybe struggles they went through, maybe he saw some of the financial struggles that they may have went through. No one has ever been more in touch with the common life we live with God. One has been closer to our human lives, both in its highest and in its depths, than Jesus. A Chinese man once told how like, he became a Christian and he had read the Word of God, and, and then he kind of just had a, this type of uh, had a dream where his imagination was thinking of it, where he was imagining himself falling through an endless pit and then or is it a well and trying to climb himself out and he would once every time he would try and get out he would fall he would slip again over and over again he tried that he imagined a confusion came by and seen his biting over and said, let me give you some advice, my friend. If you get out of your trouble, don't make the same foolish mistake again. Try and climb out and he's big, should fall, and confusion walk on. Later he met a Buddhist. Invited looked down upon him in the pit and said, if you can manage to climb up so I can reach you, I will help you out. He tries climbing out and he's my name. But then Christ came. Instead of asking questions, he came down and grabbed them and lifted them and pulled.
pulled him out and he realized that only Jesus could save, that he understood what Emmanuel meant, that he was God with us. Not just some God in the distance, but a God with him and recognized his need for Christ. Praise God for missionaries that have gone to China and the Christians that evangelized over there to spread the gospel. God in Christ did not dwell far from us. There's no depth into which he will not descend to rescue us. He's going to get down into the deepest pits of our despair to bring us out. Despite the fact that Jesus was clothed in our flesh, having our financial form, dwelling in the midst of our common life, people saw his glory. John says, we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. The glory means the splendor, the brilliance, his excellence. In this splendor, he did not overwhelm people. His brilliance did not blind them. Now, before the Bible says God is the Spirit, and no man has seen God in his entirety and lived. See, with Moses, when God went past him, that he saw his back parts. Whatever that means in his spirit, I don't know. I can't contemplate or comprehend that. But no man has seen God in his full spirit form and living. But now that same God is clothed in flesh. And they were able to behold that glory. His excellence was seen the light of day. Glory also meant the presence of God in his life. Glory of the Father. God was present in Jesus the way he was never been present in anybody else. He's the only begotten of the Father. Now, yes, we're able to become sons of God through faith, but Jesus was the only begotten of the Father in coming from him in a unique sense. We see in God's love um, to the Son. We see um, in the, his in Jesus' voice, they heard God speak. In the love of Jesus, they had experienced God's love. Philip asked, he says, if, if you and the Father are real, show us the Father. And Jesus like, I've been with you so long. If you have seen me, have seen the Father. That he had shown a special manifestation of God the Father, but in the flesh as the Son of God. And to his touch, they were able to feel his healing. The blind would be able to see the deaf, able to hear, the dumb, able to speak. They saw his glory. And they saw that unlike many others, he was full of grace. And beholding his glory, people saw he was full of grace and truth. It was that reflection, grace. It is that which completely unmerited, 
something we can't earn, something we don't deserve. We can't buy it. We can't prove ourselves worthy of it. We can't keep on doing many mighty good deeds to earn grace. Grace is the unfair, the unearned favor of God. And we see Jesus had all of that, and he shines that grace to us. There is a rare beauty and graciousness about Jesus. Jesus was full of grace. And he said, and from his fullness, have, or John writes, from his fullness have we received grace upon grace. And in his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. Not only is Jesus full of grace, he's full of truth. Truth is one of the watchwords of John's gospel occurring over 30 times. Jesus embodied the truth. He said, I am the truth. The truth Jesus incarnated was more moral than intellectual. His truth was the kind of faithfulness, Christ working his goodness, and love we see in God. Jesus said, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And Jesus was the one that came to see and to save that which was lost, to free those in prison. Jesus was the liberating truth. He could snap the bonds of sin that hold people, strike off the chains that enslaved them, and found captives and left them free. It found people serving powers that would one day destroy them and left them serving to God who alone had the right to possess them. Jesus would then say of the Holy Spirit that he, the Spirit of truth, would come, that he will guide you into all truth. Jesus, full of grace and truth, and then when he sent another comfort, the Holy Spirit, it would guide us into truth. There's no room for greed, selfishness, or possessiveness in the life of Jesus. He was full of grace. There's no room for misrepresentation, falsehood, or propaganda. He was full of truth. Jesus was so much like us, and yet so unlike us, that he was deity wrapped in the flesh. He had our humanity. He lived in our kind of world. He spoke our language. He knew our pain the limitations of time and place. Yet, he was full of grace when we were not. He was full of truth when we were not. Jesus ate at our tables, wore our clothes, lived with us, he was like us. Yet, there was a quality of excellence in him which we will never again begin to achieve until we see him face to face wake up in his life. His face it was like a light spiritual speaking, without shadows. His love was without blemish. His goodness without marring of any kind. He was without sin. He faced our temptations, but he never fell for them. He endured all temptation. He came unto his own, but his own received him. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. 
Every too big to believe on his name. This Christmas is the same today. That he will give us power to become the sons of God. If we receive receive of this Christmas. If you don't know Him as your Savior, if you don't know if you were to die today, that heaven would be your home. Jesus is the way, the truth, He's the life. That we believe the gospel, which is that He died for our sins. He didn't die for His sins. He had no sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. It was bruised with our transgressions died in our place, and he was buried. But three days later, he rose again. And that's where we see that gift. We cannot raise ourselves from the dead, but Jesus rose himself from the dead. We see that the Father rose him, the Spirit quickened him, and we see he rose him. He said, tear down this temple in three days, I will write it, raise it back. Receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Oh, Savior. Put your faith in Him. It's not in a work we do, it's not even in a prayer we say. It's often when someone say, they'll often say a prayer, uh, but that prayer is more of a manifestation or verbalizing the faith that's in the heart. The Bible says, With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And then with the mouth. Confession is made on the salvation. If you don't know Jesus is your own Savior, talk with us after service. We'll show you from the Word of God and make sure you have a clear understanding. Pray for the Spirit to give you illumination, understanding of the Word of God that you may have faith in Him. There will be those who receive Him. There will always be those that do not receive. Encourage you to receive them if you have not yet. You're already saved. Maybe just to live with the fullness of Him. Live with His joy. Let's pray. Thirdly, Father, this Christmas, as people may give and open gifts, may they truly remember you being the reason for the season. We don't know what day you were actually born on. It's just a day that's set aside that people have to have used to remember when you were born. That you were born to die. To die for our sins. That we may be able to come to a saving faith of eternal life. It's not found in our words. not found in getting baptized. not found in any type of church. But found only in Jesus Christ. Thank you for your goodness. We pray, Lord, you give people safe travel mercies of any year traveling today or tomorrow. Let's pray, Lord, you bless those that are already gone. In Jesus' name, amen. So a few announcements this Wednesday. Uh, we do have our family game night uh, at 6 o'clock. And so go bring some um, games and bring some food as well. We'll have some refreshments. And uh, next Sunday, we'll be observing the Lord's table.